Well, hey everyone, uh, good to be back here again with the study that we're doing in the book of Acts. Um, way back in the 90s, I think it was 93 or 94, I uh, can't remember exactly which year it was, but I was able to go down to Florida and in the summer there was a, a space shuttle launch. Um, I don't know if you've ever been able to see that in person. And as this you know, giant spaceship uh, got going and the rockets were firing, um, I just found myself getting caught up in watching the, the flame that was going out from the bottom, this huge flame, and then the big trail of smoke that it left behind, and then eventually the, the rockets separate, and away the rest of the space shuttle goes to space. And it kind of got me thinking about the teaching that we're doing here in Acts. As you go through each chapter, uh, it's just amazing to see uh, all that God is doing and you can almost get lost in the the fire and the smoke like I was with the space shuttle like you get lost in just all the things that are are going on and then you forget what is God actually doing here and and just like the space shuttle I mean I had no idea I had to look it up this week you know there were six astronauts on board there's tons of equipment they're going up to repair some satellites that are floating around the earth um, in the book of Acts, there, every chapter is filled with all kinds of things that are happening, but the, the basic idea is uh, God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit is building his church. And this is something that, you know, this week we're seeing is, is actually unstoppable. And uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he wants to give them this vision for, you know, the, the future. And he's asking them, who do you say that I am? And they're all wondering. And Peter is the one who, who says, hey, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right, Peter. But then he says this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, Peter, he says, listen, Peter, I am building my church and nothing that comes in the way is going to stop this. This is an unstoppable movement that has begun in the person of Jesus Christ. And here we see in chapter five of Acts that there is going to be some opposition. One is from within the group. Uh, within the group of believers, there's sin that happens that comes in and and this is the first time to kind of get like this internal struggle that's happening. And in the second half of chapter five is this external, this outside challenge that they've been having. They've had it before already. We've seen it in previous chapters and now they're having it again. And Jesus is reminding them in Matthew and we see here in the text today that no matter what comes, um, the work of God goes on. The work of the church goes on. So in the first part, the, the inside job, part one is kind of the inside job where, where from in, from within the group, um, they're having this challenge. And just to retell it, I won't be able to read the whole text, but just to be able to retell the, the story, We've got this amazing period at the end of chapter four where the church is is united and they are together. It says in Acts chapter four, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them. Like this was, they were like 
totally unified. They were spirit empowered. It says that they were sharing things in common. People were selling this, selling that, and anyone who had need was, it was getting provided as they kind of cared for each other within the group. Like this is total unity of God's people together. It's an amazing time. And then in the midst of that, we have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who decide to sell a property and give the money, but they don't just, they don't just give it. They, they actually um, decide to deceive the believers and trick them into saying, hey, we sold it for more than we did. Here's all the money, but they kept some back for themselves. And so in the midst of this this lie that they predetermined, they predecided together, um, they end up uh, dying and the Lord, you know, cuts them down. They're, they both die in the process. And um, it says that there is a great fear, like the, the church is sobered by this event that happens. So if we start by looking, we'll just look at three things real quickly. We'll look at the background of the sin, we'll look at the nature of the sin, and then we'll look at the cost of their sin. All right, so we'll look at the background of their sin first. The first thing I just said, it was there was this experience of great unity of sharing with each other. And, and there's a story right at the end of chapter four, there's a note that says that the apostle Barnabas um, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostle's feet. So you see here, um, Luke, the writer is kind of setting the tone here that Barnabas did this deed and uh, he sold this property, gave this money so that the poor could, you know, have food or that they could share with the needs in, in the group there. And this kind of sets the stage for what Ananias and Sapphira are going to do. They end up doing uh, the same thing, but with deceit. They end up uh, lying about it or um, being hypocritical about it. So um, it, it says, though, that not only was it them that did this together, they definitely decided to, to do this together, but it was actually um, a work of Satan who was trying to uh, destroy the work that God is doing. It says in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You see here that uh, Satan sees the work that God is doing and this is like this is nothing new that that Satan has always uh, tried to stop what God is doing. Think all the way back to Genesis, where God creates the world and creates Adam and Eve, and what happens? He comes onto the scene and he tempts and um, is involved in getting Eve and Adam eventually both to choose to to sin and to create this uh, rift between God and man. Um, it also says uh, really clearly in um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where Cain also has just killed Abel. You know, sin enters in in that way. And it describes the the sin that is um, coming to Cain and tempting him. It describes it this way. It says, it's like a crouching tiger eager to control you. And this is what's happening here. For some reason... Ananias and Sapphira, most likely they saw the 
maybe the the praise that Barnabas got or the um, the honor that he received from giving his gift to the church. And man, they were thinking, let's do this. Let's uh, sell our property. We'll keep some of the money, but we'll say it's all of it. And maybe some of that honor, maybe some of that recognition, all those those temptations are coming their way and they actually decide to do that. And this is often how, pretty much all the time, how sin works and how Satan works. It says in the Bible that Satan, his language is lies, okay? And, and sin promises us something that it can't deliver. So in this case, Ananias and Sapphira, their, their temptation to um, gain something, some sort of recognition, um, is a temptation that they give into. And it's, it's not something that the early church had experienced before. Before that, they're just experiencing great unity, um, great, you know, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But here, Ananias and Sapphira, longing for something that sin can never provide for them, they uh, conspire together to do this. And so that's a bit of the background, but the nature of their sin is, is super clear here as well. And, um, it's not just that they, uh, sinned, but, uh, Peter makes it clear a number of times that they deliberately sinned against God. And now, you know, technically all of our sin is against God, but sometimes we sin against individuals. That's still a sin that, uh, grieves God. Um, but in this case, um, Peter makes it super clear in, um, Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, um, Peter said to them, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in verse 4, it says that you have not lied to man, but to God. And then down in verse 9, it says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? So Peter's like, man, you guys are not just... Uh, creating division in the community you guys have together with satan um, have tested god you're you're trying to see like what can we get away with here what is it that we can we can do and in this case they choose to lie uh, another way of putting it is that they choose um, hypocrisy right they want to put forward this image like they have done this amazing thing and people should be like praising them and yet the truth of the matter is they have lied to God and ultimately they've lied to the church as well. And I don't know about you, but um, this is uh, a temptation I think that all of us face. We're all tempted to uh, deceive people, to, to have them think more about us than maybe they should, um, maybe to have them um, honor us for being a certain way. I know I feel that temptation. I'm, I'm sure others who are listening to this as well, the, the sin of hypocrisy and, and being a, a fake Christian is something that, man, has turned so many people off of Christianity or of church in general. I've, I've heard, I've talked to people who have, who've said, man, going to church, going to be with Christians, forget that, you know, just a bunch of hypocrites and, and fakers. And, um, you know, some of those people don't understand that. Yeah. Christians are still sinners. We still make a ton of mistakes. Um, but this idea of hypocrisy, and I know in my own testimony, even when I was a, a teenager, when I was a young person, I, I totally played this game, right? We're on, on the weekends, whether it was uh, the, 
the small, I went to a tiny youth group. There was like five of us or something, you know, we went to a really tiny church, kind of the size of citizens, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, I could turn it on, you know, I could kind of make it look like I was uh, a good kid and a Christian person. And then during the week with my friends or at other times, I'm totally choosing to, to live just like the world and uh, rampant sin in my life and hypocrisy, you know, able to play that game. And that's the game that Ananias and Sapphira think that they can play. And it's a game that God says, man, from the beginning, I'm going to show the church that holiness, like a life that is um, dedicated to God and truthfulness are things that need to be a priority in the life of a believer. And so you look here then at the cost of their sin. The cost of their sin was severe and swift. Okay, super severe and swift. So it says um, that in verse 5 of chapter 4, it says, When Ananias heard these words, this is Peter talking to him, he fell down and breathed his last. Boom, dead. And then uh, a few hours later, it says that um, Sapphira comes and then Peter is asking her, you know, how, how did this happen? Did you give all the money or not? Kind of gives her an opportunity to like tell the truth and come, come out with it. And she doesn't. She agrees with her husband. And verse 10 says, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. I mean, we're talking instant impact. We know that the, the word of God makes it clear that uh, death is the result of sin. We're all dying. That's the result of Adam's first sin. But here we see uh, death comes into the early church as a result of the sin that Ananias and Sapphira have committed. And in verse 11, it says that the, the impact, it shows the impact here. It says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Man, we're talking like massive impact instantly as a result of these two individuals uh, lying about what they had done and then God um, killing them on the spot um, in, in a, like an amazing uh, sort of way. And so we see two things here. First is that the church is, it says, with great fear. Like this got everybody's attention. This was unforgettable. You know, for, for my generation, you know, we think of the moment when 9-11 happened or we think of right now we're living in, you know, COVID-19. And this is the, like a story that we're going to tell our grandchildren if we're old enough, our great, great grandchildren. Um, that's what this story is for the early believers. I mean, Luke puts it in, you know, inspired text, but for the early believers, this story is that it is so impactful that they see before them what God is doing. But it's not only them, the believers. It says um, upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Like other people in Jerusalem and in the area, they heard about this new movement. And then they heard about Ananias and Sapphira who lied, who tried to partner with Satan rather than the Holy Spirit and how God um, took them down right on the spot. And, and this was the wake-up call that the church needed at this time. I mean, they've been getting some persecution and we'll get to some in a little bit, but this is the wake-up call that God wanted to give them. And I don't know if you've ever done that before, like at a hotel where you get a wake-up call. 
I, I think we've done it once like years ago, you know, it's like, I need to get up at six. I want to make sure that I'm up for my flight that's coming um, or my, you know, my business appointment. And so you get a wake up call. So at six o'clock they ring you and you get up. And what's the purpose of that? Well, if you don't get that, you're, you're nervous that maybe you'll sleep through, you know, your meeting or you'll miss your flight. The wake up call is to do that is to wake you up because you have something that you need to be doing. You have something that you need to get to. And that's what this was. This was the early church's wake up call because Christ was saying, listen, you cannot get embroiled. You can't get tangled up in sin like this. You have a mission. This is a new movement. You need to keep moving forward. Here is your wake up call. Our calling as believers is to be truth tellers. So in Ephesians 525, it says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. As believers, our calling is to be truth tellers, not to be hypocritical, not to be lying, not to have little white lies. We're to be truth tellers. And, and my prayer, and I hope all of our prayers, is that citizens church can really grow that culture of being truth tellers. You know, if there are questions we have about God, if there are th things that we're struggling about or, or doubting about, we should be able to come to our community and say those things. If there are needs that we have, if there are, are sins in our lives, we should be able to come and be truth tellers. Listen, if Ananias and Sapphira had come and said, we sold this property, we want to give X amount we're not going to give it all though, because we need a little bit for this. Maybe we have some other debts or we have a business, whatever it is. I'm telling you, everybody, everybody would have rejoiced at what they gave, but they chose to lie and to deceive the group and to partner in that sense more than, I think more than just personal sin. It was actually partnering with the, with Satan and to try to bring some division and actually destruction to the church. And God says, my plans are unstoppable, even if Satan tries to infiltrate them. And you think back to, to Judas as well. It's a similar example where Satan tries to infiltrate the inner circle of the disciples when Jesus is around and he can't stop the work of God. But the second part really quickly is also the outside job. And so we see here again that the Sadducees are struggling with uh, the work that God is doing. And so they try to oppose God's work. And so the root of their opposition is actually that they were jealous. It says that the Sadducees were jealous and they try uh, a few different ways to get at the disciples. So in chapter, sorry, in chapter five, in verse 17, it says that they arrested verse, sorry, uh, verse 18. They arrested the disciple apostles and put them in public prison. In verse 27, they bring them before the council and they question them. And then in verse 40, they actually beat them and tell them not to teach anymore. So their hope, their, their goal is that, man, this intimidation, these authorities will be able to come in and intimidate these guys and put an end to the movement Again, this is, um, it's just amazing to see the work of the Holy Spirit in these early believers. This, this early opposition doesn't work at all. 
And again, it was something that Christ had promised uh, to the disciples. In John 16, verse 33, it says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Man, are you a hope-filled believer? Are you um, strengthened by the fact that as, as believers, Christ has overcome Christ has conquered, whether it's a bad economy, whether it is, you know, opposition from people who maybe you've been sharing the gospel with, um, maybe it's ridicule from people, or maybe it's like your own internal nerves, you're, you're not um, ready to step out and do something for Christ. Man, we should know as believers, and as we read scripture, we see Christ has overcome. Christ has defeated death. Christ has defeated Satan. Christ will one day return and conquer the whole world. And so the work of Christ, specifically through his church in this season, is unstoppable. And, and you and I are a part of what he's doing. So here we see that the Sadducees are trying to intimidate, they're trying to beat, they're trying to question them. And man, it is just not working. And, and finally, then we see that a, a Jewish leader, one of the Sadducees named Gamaliel, he actually gets up and, and you should, if you haven't read, read the chapter, you really should read it. He gets up and says, listen, he says, there's been a number of different movements that have come up. He, he quotes about the movement of Theudas and Judas, the Galilean. And he says, listen, these movements have come. And when the leader goes, eventually over a little bit of time, the movement itself disappears. So he's like, I would not put too much energy don't put too much stock into stopping these guys. Because if if this movement that they're following is not of God, it's going to die out. It's going to be done. But he says, listen, if you are not sure about this, you should not oppose what's going on because it might actually be a work of God. It's, it's pretty unbelievable that he says this. He says in verse 39, he says, you might even be found opposing God. Now, I, I don't know if he was a believer or not. Um, there's some speculation that he might have been, um, but this is incredible wisdom that we see from Gamaliel. And ultimately, we see that the, the, they end up following his advice. They don't, um, they don't kill them. They don't stop it. It says that they, they called the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to speak about Jesus. And they let them go. And listen to this. Then the, the, the apostles, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Like they'd just been beaten. Okay. They'd just been beaten. They left him. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. For, that's the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from, the house to, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ this was a, an amazing thing that they ended up um, with joy, even though they're beaten, beaten continuing to, to teach about Jesus and share about him. And so, man, um, this work that God has done is unstoppable, whether it is Satan trying to in, infiltrate the work of the church, which is still a, a thing today. That's why we have elders that honestly are supposed to um, shepherd the church. They're supposed to guard it and protect it. Um, or from outside authorities, we see that even when, um, you know, 
these these disciples were uh, challenged to the point of being beaten that they were still given uh, the joy of the Lord and and that might be hard for us to understand maybe you've never experienced that before but I know uh, if you look back at history or if you go to like voice of the martyrs there are hundreds and hundreds of people who have experienced the grace and the joy of God in the midst of being opposed as they've stood up with with courage and conviction with humility for the sake of Christ. And and listen, uh, citizens, this is our calling. Like it's 2020. We still mark our calendars by the year that Christ was around. It's 2020. And here we are still spreading out, still pushing forward on the kingdom of God, planted Citizens Church now. And it's it's our time. We Like we have no other strategy as a church to reach other people than you and me connecting with people, showing them the family of God, and talking about Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you, I want to give you, um, uh, you know, just this challenge from the Word of God that the Holy Spirit goes with us, and as we trust Him, um, He's the one who actually does the work, and we get to see what He's doing, and He provides joy in the midst of opposition, and the work of the church continues to be unstoppable. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for these amazing uh, testimonies of how you worked through um, regular men and women and how your spirit prevailed. God, thank you for the testimony of this unstoppable movement that you've begun and that you've entrusted to us, your people. And Lord, just give us the boldness and the courage to trust you um, with anything that we face. Thank you for your work on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.